Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a special live edition of Miked Up Sports as we celebrate 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel this week. It's a big milestone. Admittedly, I wasn't sure when it was going to happen with the pandemic affecting sports coverage. I haven't had an actual game to call in the last four and a half months, but 10,000, a number that is certainly worth celebrating considering that when I started on YouTube, there was no way to subscribe. So there was no way to measure how many people were following your content. But over the last uh, three years in particular, our site has really grown as we've expanded our sports from basketball to include lacrosse, volleyball, football, soccer, and just about the entire slate. And one woman who has been a part of that journey over the last five years, a couple as a coach, and the last three uh, calling games with me, at least when her daughter wasn't playing, is Latoya Turk. Latoya, the founder and woman behind the scenes of the Talking with Toya podcast. And Latoya, before we start celebrating some memories, I want to know how is your podcast coming along? Because I have to imagine there are more than a few fans just dying to listen to your first interview. Well, it, it's coming along. You know, I have a couple of projects that I'm working on right now. Um, definitely my Talking with Toya, but um, after the George Floyd murder, um, I had a different assignment and, and I actually, along with Lee Adams, um, we developed a corporation, um, called our sister's keeper, Minnesota. And so I've been working on that, um, for the past few months, uh, and, and that has been doing amazing. And so, um, you know, you guys can catch me on, on, uh, Instagram, or you can catch me on YouTube with talkingwithtoya.com, or you can also check out my Our Sisters Keepers Minnesota Instagram or Facebook website if you would like to follow me and see what I have going on. But if you know me, you know I always have a ton of stuff going on, and I love it, and it keeps me busy. Um, so that's, that's what I've been working on. And I do have some really exciting interviews coming up. Um, one August 1st. So if you follow me on my YouTube uh, station or Instagram, either one of those sites, you'll be able to catch that interview um, the first week of August. Well, I know I can't wait. You've told me about this. Actually, we've been kind of uh, working on this or you've been feeding me some tips or questions for the last few months. And I know in a time where we have a lot of time on our hands, I can't wait to hear some of the stories you have to share. And if you're watching this on Facebook Live, we should point out that feel free to drop a comment. I see we've got a few viewers already. We'll also have this up on our YouTube channel later. We're gonna do a little bit of cleanup editing. So you'll have more than one way to watch this. And there's also a link to join us live on Zoom. It's on my Facebook page, on my Twitter page as well, at the Mike Peden. So if you'd like to join us live on Zoom and share some of your favorite memories of our sports coverage, you're welcome to do so. Otherwise, drop a comment on Facebook Live as I see we've got a few viewers joining us now. So uh, LaToya, you've been around at least 
with our sports coverage for the last five years, but you've been around the Twin Cities for a while. You know, you went to De La Salle, you went to Washburn, came back, did a lot of work in St. Paul. So you and I, we've often joked that we would need a lot of time to do an episode together because we go off in so many tangents. But looking back as we hit 10,000 subscribers, with all the games you either got to coach or cover with me, or even as a fan, just what stands out with you? Oh my, I can't, I don't think I can just pick one, um, but I've really enjoyed watching the young ladies develop um, over the, the past six or seven years. Um, when I started coaching and training in St. Paul, a lot of the girls that you see now uh, in the inner city, they were third and fourth grade. And to see them mature on the court and off the, the court to where they are now has been amazing. Uh, so that's really the, there's no one particular game that I've enjoyed uh, watching. Um, I mean, tons of memories. I absolutely love my, my Como Park Cougars. Um, the first year that, that I coached them to see, and it was seeing their development, being able to um, set the bar for them and they exceeded it. And so that was, that, that has been, you know, my most amazing piece for me professionally as a, as a coach, but I, I enjoyed watching all of you guys play. And what a time to jump in. That was a special season. Cobo Park's first and only state tournament appearance so far in school history, but you had Andrea Adams in her senior season. She was coming off a year where she led the state in scoring, but Como Park didn't have much of a history, much of a reason to be respected until that senior season when they won their section, went to state. And I just remember Andrea Adams, she was good when I first covered her as a sophomore when they went up against Minneapolis Washburn. That's when Chase Coley was a senior. So that's when folks like Chase and Tia Albert, Kayla McMorris, they were the headliners. Andrea was an up and comer, but I had no idea she would become the explosive athlete she was until her junior season. And that's when you really saw Andrea take over and that continued into her senior season. Do you remember the first time you saw Andrea in a practice or in a game and what you made of one of the finest athletes to come out of St. Paul and Minnesota as a whole. Yeah. The first time I saw Andrea um, play, it was probably her sophomore year and she was, uh, she's at a workout um, for the Warriors, which uh, her parents were the coach and the executive director of a summer basketball program. And I think, Alexis Gray Lawson was playing defense on her at the time. Um, and I remember, you know, there at that time, Pat had so many great athletes in his program that, but she still, she stood out. And um, yeah, I knew she was amazing. I knew she was amazing uh, when, when I first saw her. And it just, it seemed so effortless for her, um, her, her level of competition, her play, her execution. Uh, so when, when we came into Como Park as coaches, there were just a few things that we needed to fine tune for her to help her uh, go to that next level. Um, but she had a great supporting cast around her with her parents um, and her and the basketball community. So uh, that was an amazing opportunity to be able to 
coach, uh, one of the greatest to come out of uh, St. Paul and Minnesota girls basketball. I can attest to her support network because I did a feature on her for a show I was a part of many years ago. Uh, but when I arrived to do an interview, I left my memory card at home. So I had no way to record any interviews. So her dad took me to the Target on University Avenue so I could pick up a memory card so I could get the interviews I needed to with Andrea and a couple of her teammates and her coach at the time, John Robinson. Mm -hmm. I took a letter to Como Park uh, because of the connection the Adams have with the Robinsons. And right. uh, uh, apparently if you go way back, her dad would tell you this, Andrea had a lot of respect and envy for Angel Robinson and wasn't afraid to <laughs> challenge her even as a much smaller version of herself. So she had a lot of inspirational figures early on. And then I got to cover her in a couple of games and you just saw what she was willing to do. That takeover gene is how I put it, that I saw from the likes of at that point, Angel Robinson, of course, and Taylor Hill, just the players that never really made it about themselves, but when they had to step up, when they sensed that this was their chance, they just took over and turned into <laughs> a She-Hulk, I guess. Yeah, super women. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring up the story with Andrea and Angel because Lee and I were just having a conversation a few days ago um, about that, that 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 mentorship from the player who you know you're you're driving to be like um, and to compete against, um, and it's a healthy competition and. Um, we, we were we were talking about the workouts between Demaya and Andrea and how Demaya just keeps coming back. She's like, I just I, I'm I'm gonna get her. I'm gonna get her this time. And you know, Drea was the same way with with Angel. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get her one time. I'm gonna intercept that pass. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat her down the floor. Um, and it showed in their game. It showed in their game. I, I'm a firm believer that uh, that competition is healthy. And you know, as long as you're driving to to get to that next level. Uh, it'll it'll show on the court. We should always be, you know, iron sharpens iron. Let's keep pushing each other. So that senior season for Andrea, that's when you came in. What did you make of that ride? Because it included a couple of emotional battles with De La Salle. I'll never forget the meeting where there were four technical fouls called in the first half, and we never got a true follow-up to that, which disappointed me as a fan because uh, those two teams really went at each other. Uh, and among the other games I know that I covered, getting to see Andrea go up against her AAU buddy and Suzanne Gilreath, who just finished up at Wisconsin, uh, coming back from 15 down early to beat Minneapolis Southwest in the Twin Cities game. And just all of these performances we saw out of Andrea – she didn't leave the state yeah. that year as a senior, so she deferred a little more. But when the time, when it was necessary, everyone knew she still had it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I can say when we came in uh, that that year, we knew um, the opportunity that was that had been presented to us. We were knocking on the door. We looked heavily. You know, we didn't get a chance that year to. Um, schedule our own games because those games had already been scheduled for us. But looking at the schedule, we knew that we had an opportunity to get to state. And so that's what we trained for. I did a lot of scouting that year. I spent a lot of time in the gym. 
Um, we, we did uh, nutritional counseling for the girls. We had academic health sessions for them. Um, we really changed the face of that program um, as far as what the expectations were for the athletes um, and just speaking life into them and letting them know you are the best. You know, you, you, we can do this. And each game, we were one step closer. We were one step closer. So we, uh, with, with having the team that we had and the support that we had that year, um, we were able as coaches to really focus on each athlete individually and um, fine tune their gifts individually. I mean, we talk about Andrea Adams, amazing. But we also had uh, Michaela Vanette on the team that year. Um, and as we know, Michaela shoots your lights out. And so, you know, it was like, pick your poison. And then you have Rain Adams, who's running the point position. And there's a special connection between Rain and Andrea. So, you know, pick your poison. Any, any of our backcourt could score. And then our girls coming off the bench, they were hungry as well. So it was a great opportunity to take um, what we knew as, as former athletes um, and maybe I shouldn't say former because once an athlete, always an athlete, but to take what we know and instill it in the girls and watch them flourish. It was amazing to, to be a, be a part of that. Um, we, we did training on how to deal with the refs, um, you know, ref interaction, crowd interaction, uh, how to interview. So any situation that the young ladies were put in, they were confident. They had this, the tools and the resources, uh, to handle those situations. And it was great. Well, those interview tips and techniques, I'm sure came in handy, especially for Andrea, because I remember I interviewed her a lot <laughs> over the last couple of years because she was the playmaker. She was the athlete, that figure who would get Como Park past the hump, over the edge, whatever synonym or proverb you want to use. She was the right. one to get it done. And was always cordial, professional. You could tell a little on the shy side, but on the court, it was just Day and fun. Night. Right. It was fun to see because, you know, how folks are. And I get a lot of people are like this, especially when you're a teenager. You don't want to come off as selfish, self-centered, or uh, making it all about you. And there's She's a... She's very humble. Right. She's oh, very right. humble. We have, we have a few, we have a few athletes that, that are, you know, at the top of their game that are the same way. And, and I'm constantly telling them, respect your drip. Like you are the ticket. Um, and when we think about, you know, Paige, of course, uh, we can pretty much take any of the girls off the Hopkins teams um, in the past year or two, amazing athletes, um, Pratt out at Stillwater. I mean, I could just, I could go on and on uh, of the young ladies, um, the young ladies who are Cougars right now, um, they are, when you interact with them out, outside of the basketball court, they're so humble, you know, and when you talk to them about their greatness, you just get a smile, you know, they, they just smile. It's like, they don't even know that, you know, you're, you're pretty good kid. <laughs> I mean, Andrea was the first athlete to have her number retired at Como Park. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen, I didn't see her Jersey in the rafters recently, so I hope they get it back up there, but yeah, no one else will wear number 15 at Como Park, and I wouldn't be surprised if number one is retired at Hopkins yeah, yeah. In, the, in the same manner. Uh, so you saw this, of course, whenever Andrea got in the zone, 
her emotional expressions changed to <laughs> a woman you wouldn't want to mess with. Uh, but, you know, and then, of course, you probably uh, heard of me. I think I remember you telling me Lee told you about me because of the coverage I was giving to Como Park around that time. And actually, now I just remembered how I didn't realize who her dad was for at least a year. I saw him approach me when I did the Como Washburn game. And it wasn't until a year later when I did the story on Andrea that I realized who her father was and how involved he was in the basketball community. So what did you make of all of the press and not just having this strong team, but if you were to watch the games and they still draw viewers now, but to know that you were coaching a team whose player, whose star player was one of the most watched figures in the high school ranks, my YouTube audience back then could not get enough of Como Park and Andrea Adams, which I found surreal. You know, I did not take that assignment lightly. I knew that Andrea uh, was great and the product or, or the, her skill level or her as an athlete that she would put out um, would affect generations. And I would have conversations with Andrea and, and, and I would tell her like, you're gonna be the next generation's Maya Moore. Um, and so, you know, that was my tool to be able to get her um, to, to know, you know, you're, you're, really, you're really good. So I was very uh, alert to making sure that I did what I needed to do to take care of her as an athlete, um, making sure that she had the resources that she needed, um, and just being 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 supportive of her in her journey as a young African American female athlete in the city conference. So um, I, I I wanted her to be in the media. I wanted them to um, give her her flowers and 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 let her know how great she is and acknowledge her accomplishments. Um, they should. Uh, she's a she was she is a phenomenal player. So. And I also wanted to make sure she was equipped to handle that because that also comes along with a lot of pressure. Um, so we wanted to support her and have a supportive atmosphere and a healthy atmosphere for her. And we worked very hard to do that, not only for Andrea, but for all of the athletes at Como. Um, we, we made sure that they, their, their needs, their basic needs were met. Um, and so what the, their only responsibility was to perform academically and on the court. And uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to make sure that you're okay. And so I did not take that assignment lightly. Long hours. That's all I can say. I, I didn't get to see the sunset until a year after I stopped coaching because I was always in the gym. And so I remember driving home one day and going, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. The sun that I didn't know the sunset this late. And I was on the phone with my mom and she goes, Toya, it's every, every day it's around the same time. And, it, and I realized I would get off of work. I would come straight to the gym. We would have team meals, study hall, and then we'd have practice. And by the time I got home, it was 10 o'clock at night. So I never got to see the sunset. So um, I, put, I put work in, Mike. <laughs> put a lot of work in. Well, I'll tell you how popular she was. It was to the point where one of my fellow camera ops uh, chomped at the bit every time I covered a Como game to see her play <laughs> because I brought him in 
for the De La Salle game where Andrea, I think, scored 25 in the first half and Como you know, got the sweep, of course, that year over De La Salle. But after the game, uh, Brian's his name. He came up. We were talking, and I saw he was giving Andrea a salute, and Andrea was just laughing. You know, it goes back to her awareness and her humility. And yeah. it was because Brian told me the reason he did that was because, and he didn't mean this in the wrong way, but he said Andrea doesn't play like a girl. Like she plays like someone who <laughs> gets after it that you know doesn't care who she is, what gender it is, she's going to play hard no matter what. So right. not only was she a fan favorite, but she was a crew favorite. They just couldn't get enough of her. Yeah. I think, I think our last couple of years that um, I was the same way with Alexis uh, Pratt audit Stillwater, like as many of her games that I could cover, I, I wanted to be able to uh, be behind the mic um, as she orchestrated on the floor. So I understand that feeling. Well, and Pratt's got another year, and now uh, with some of the changes we've already seen in the coaching world, my dream scenario would be to get you and our buddy Andrea Hubbard yeah. together <laughs> for a Stillwater game because yeah. I know Andrea works with Alexis through the Empower yeah. Her program, and you know Alexis going back to your days at Washington, if I'm correct. So I think that would be a lot of fun. I, I do, too. I do, too. I, I love talking basketball with Andrea and it, I, I love seeing what she's, how she's helped uh, Pratt develop over these last few years. So yeah, that would be nice. And just a reminder for anyone who is tuning in, we are doing a special live edition of Miked Up Sports celebrating 10,000 subscribers on YouTube with, with Latoya Turk. And if you'd like to share your thoughts about sports coverage that, that I've been doing for the last 14 years, uh, Feel free to drop a comment on Facebook or join us on Zoom if you'd like. There is a link on my Facebook and Twitter handles. And we mentioned Angel Robinson. She was part of my very first game. I don't know how many of my old school games you've watched, LaToya, but the very first game I called was St. Paul Central and Creighton Durham Hall. That game, that matchup had Alyssa Carroll, who went on to Wisconsin and one of the standouts for the Raiders and of course Angel Robinson who started at Johnson went to St. Paul Central and was a part of that super team that we'll never forget and it also fed into what I thought was one of the greatest rivalries and still the greatest rivalry in women's basketball St. Paul Central Minneapolis South yeah. and I'll never forget doing the Twin Cities game it was the first of Many meetings between Central and South in the years of Angel Robinson and Taylor Hill. And I don't know if you were around back then, but the gym at Minneapolis South High School was sold out. You could not find a seat. And this is a girls basketball game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, for, for me, having players that play at that level, that's what I want to see. I want to see those gyms sold out. Growing up in the 90s, I, I played in the Minneapolis Conference. And so we would play the girls game, the girls would play first, and then the boys would play varsity. Um, and a lot of our, our, you know, not to take anything away from our girls athletics, because we had some dynamic players, you know, Tracy Henderson, um, Chesron Riley, Shonda Holden. I mean, I, my, I can, the list can go on and on um, to the, uh, 
in regards to the Division One athletes that played in the Minneapolis Conference on the girls' side. But for the boys' side, we had some really heavy hitters. And so our games would be maxed to capacity by our the girls' halftime. Uh, and so that's what I was used to seeing. I was used to seeing having to show up early, get your seat, um, and the gym being um, full and supporting uh, women's athletics. And that was one of the things that we pushed so hard for um, at Como Park was to fill our gym up. Uh, and and, and we, we did a good job of it. You know, the numbers, the numbers uh, in the gym were, were nice. But that's what I'm used to seeing for girls athletics. So when I go into a, a gym and it's not empty, it feels, or it's empty, it feels very weird to me because that's not what I'm used to seeing. I'm wondering if we're going to get that this upcoming season, I don't know what the sports calendar, the sports world is going to look like, but I remember doing that Chaska Maple Grove game with you and it was a small crowd <laughs> and yeah. whenever they would line up for free throws, everyone fell silent and it felt like I was in a library. Like I didn't want to speak too loudly. Or whisper, really right. whispering in the mic. <laughs> And I'm not used to that. Usually I have to shout, especially if music is playing because they have the music set so loud that you almost have to, to hear anything. So it was real strange. And so I wonder what things are going to look like if we're going to have fans, but we still have a few months before we get to the basketball season. So maybe hopefully we'll have a better handle on everything. But I'm curious, LaToya, what your first impression was of me when you saw me for the first time. I remember you telling me that Lee had advised you or informed you about me and my coverage. So I wasn't a complete stranger, but you know, I, I just remember seeing you and all the new staff for the first time, Alexis and the others, and not knowing any of the new faces. You look familiar for some reason. I don't know why, but obviously... I know why I recognize you now, but five years ago, a different story. Right. Well, part of my job as, as the assistant coach at Como was to take care of media requests. And uh, I wanted to make sure people knew who the Como Park Cougars were as a, as a whole. We had, an, uh, we had um, a coach who had um, spent time in the WNBA, and she had her own um, acknowledgments and accolades uh, underneath her record. And then I was a Minneapolis uh, conference standout and I knew the basketball community here. And I'd also had my own um, uh, private business. So I, I, when I saw you and Lee told me who you were, I knew that I, okay, I need to make a connection with him um, because that was one of the things that we, we were working with, with the girls where their meet their presence in the media. So I knew that um, at some point I was going to have to sit down with you and, and have a conversation with you. Um, I also uh, am one of my, one of my gifts is I, I can break down, I break down film very well, um, which is um, one of the reasons why we were able to go so far outside of our girls, natural athletic abilities, but um, scouting and, and breaking down film to be able to uh, compete against another team is a, a huge asset that I utilize uh, in coaching. And so, and you had a lot of film. <laughs> so, so I knew at some point uh, we were going to, we were going to have to cross paths. Um, it was amazing to me how many of the girls did not know who you were. 
And as we went to some of the bigger games, I would see you at the games and they didn't know who you were. That has changed now. They know who you are um, because it, it, you know, you do a great service for, for the sport of girls basketball. Um, and a lot of times there's, there's not a huge compensation for the work that you're doing. Um, and some of the films that are put out, these girls are able to use for scouting purposes and they go on to get scholarships or offers to go to school for free. And so I think it's important that, um, we acknowledge that and, and say thank you to the service that you've provided to the basketball community. I've mentioned this with you and in broadcasts. So this is a running joke of sorts. If you've been following our sports coverage for the last 14 years or however long you've been a subscriber, but coaches have told me the first thing they do is type in my name especially for mm -hmm. girls basketball, uh, Dan Woods and mm -hmm. Holy Angels. I'm sorry if I'm dropping names when I shouldn't, but I'm trying to illustrate the point. Or Alexis, when she was here at Como Park, now she's taking a job at California, so she'll have to find someone else to get game film, unfortunately. Um, but all these other coaches that I can't think of, or even Hopkins would ask me, uh, Brian Cosgriff would ask me where he could find games that I was calling. All of these sure. coaches would... <laughs> Forget it, like forget typing in the school name. They would type in my name to see if I've covered the team first, and I just right. found that to be really weird. Like, you're punching in my name <laughs> and not the team you're supposed to be scouting against. Well, um, just like I tell the girls, uh, when you're good, you're good. When you got it, you got it. Respect your drip, Mike. So I just find that most surreal and every season it expands and it's not just the coaches, but even some of the players, as you alluded to earlier, I've had a couple recognize me at games now. So even if Como wasn't aware of what I was doing, apparently other players were. And I had Nia Holly on a couple months ago and she said she remembers watching a lot of my early broadcasts with Taylor Hill. She wanted to be, on the Minneapolis South team before she went to Hopkins. She was a huge oh, wow. fan of Taylor Hill. So that uh, just reminds you, as you said earlier, how small this basketball community is and how you don't really know who's watching you all the time. Right. Uh, right. Usually there are more people watching your content than you think. So of course you coach for a couple of years and then you left and started operating independently in a sense where, you know, you still are helping out with the athletes, get, staying involved. I know you did a lot of work with Zarina Cementelli, for example, you're doing a lot of work with Alexis Pratt now, and you've also called a lot of games with me. So what are some games or players that you enjoyed getting a chance to work with, getting a chance to see over these last few years as our coverage has expanded both in terms of geography and the number of games we provide in our YouTube channel? So I'll say over the past couple of years, my role um, with training has transitioned a lot from um, uh, on the court training to more behind the scenes. Um, uh, and I've enjoyed that. Uh, I, I definitely have a gift uh, to empower young ladies and to um, speak promise over them. And I have enjoyed watching them walk in their purpose. Um, 
gosh, the, I don't want to, I don't want to name drop because I don't want to forget anybody because there's so many players that I enjoy watching. Um, but here we go. Um, you know, I always love watching my kid play. <laughs> and I had no idea. <laughs> and these last couple of years at Maranatha, having um, the opportunity to work with some of the girls in off season and seeing them develop, like it's going to be really nice um, to see the girls who um, might not have gotten a lot of playing time last year, seek out assistance. And you'll see a huge difference this year uh, in their, in their caliber of their playing. Um, NJ, I didn't get it. I haven't worked with NJ since she was younger, but I remember the conversations that I had with her as, um, you know, in junior high telling her, you got to own it, kid. You got this. Like, you're going to be, you're, you're great. Just, you just got to do it. And seeing her, her junior and senior year, just do it. Amazing. Amazing. Um, watching players like Michaela Vanette, you know, telling her, you know, you're a shooter. I think when I was there, she was second in the state in three-point shots behind Scalia. And I'm like, you, you, we can't, was, was she second or third? I think she was second behind Suzanne Gilbert. Sarah Scalia was a few years later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I could tell that I got something wrong by your brow frow. But. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Sarah, if she had time warp a few years ago, I mean, <laughs> that would have, I mean, I would have loved correction. to see her go up against yes. Andrea. And I have but to yes. give Suzanne her props too. You know, she's a re recent grad from Wisconsin. So uh, also an awesome player, had an opportunity to work with her with, you know, with the Warriors. She's always been a leader. Um, but, you know, with Michaela, don't feel bad if you miss a shot. You made 10 others. It's okay. Keep shooting. And, and you know, don't get down on yourself. Um, watching the young ladies that are at Como Park right now, I remember um, right um, when we were getting ready to switch um, or come into um, Como Park, Alexis and I, we were watching games at Jimmy Lee Rec Center and they were there. And uh, as I looked around, I realized there were other St. Paul Conference coaches there as well. <laughs> and I'm like, we must be in the right spot. And so that was the first time I got to see them. And it's the same story. Hey, you guys got something really good. You're good. And not only to um, tell them you know, how awesome Como Parks program was, but to let them know that you can go and do whatever it is you want to do, like um, own your, you know, respect your drip, own it. And so that's been a highlight for me to see the girls come into their own. Um, and, and not all the girls that I work with, do they uh, go on to play college basketball, um, college basketball or high school basketball has just been a, a, a gift and an opportunity that um, I've had to mentor them. Uh, but but majority of the young ladies that have played on my team um, are either pursuing um, collegiate um, academic degrees uh, on scholarship or they're playing collegiate basketball, which uh, I absolutely am amazed by and love it. And I want to continue to see them grow. Um, a lot of the girls that I deal with, they're first generation college students. And so to see them go from having no idea you know, I had to wear many hats, but seeing them go from having no idea about the opportunities that are presented to them by using their gift to having five or six offers um, and really understanding and owning, okay, I am pretty good. 
so I don't have just one player, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm getting in lots of film with the girls over at De La Salle. I'm watching them, um, just because I enjoy seeing their development, um, and, and seeing their, for, from each year, uh, their growth. So, um, watching Mia play, um, I've had, um, Mia, when she was younger, her and Nevaeh Galloway, they would come to workouts that I had at Battle Creek. And so watching them, you know, develop in that Minnehaha program, Avery knew, um, it's just, it's all been a treat. It's all been a treat. So I don't have just one game, you know, but the most exciting game that I've called by far crowd wise, um, has been the Hopkins Farmington game at the beginning of last season. I've never seen so much orange camel in my life. Well, Farmington, go ahead, go ahead. It was loud, you know, it, that, and it was filled all the way up to the walking track at the top of the gym and every generation was represented. There were kids there, small kids there with their Farmington Hopkins um, shirts on and there were grandparents there. Uh, So that was really amazing to start off last season with that level of energy. And I think it carried on throughout the year because we covered some really good games. I think it was very smart of us to be strategic about the games we were going to cover. Uh, and it worked out. There are some, there are some pretty amazing athletes um, playing in Minnesota last year and we got to cover a lot of them. And I enjoyed it. Right. And admittedly, it's harder to be strategic in the early part of the season because you never know how, teams with new looks will fare but Hopkins Farmington I remember that game or that date I was bouncing around a couple of different matchups because at the time I wasn't aware that Hopkins and Farmington had set up a game on the calendar and over the last couple of years we were probably the only ones that didn't know Well, I think if I looked a little harder, I would have discovered it. But that night, and I've joked about this all the time, usually there's more than one good matchup on the calendar as far as games of interest. So you have Como Park and St. Louis Park. uh, And St. Louis Park has, of course, Kendall Coley is going to go to Nebraska, I believe. Uh, Concordia Academy, Minnehaha Academy, which has become a fun rivalry in Section 4-2A because those two teams have made the section final the last three years. And Concordia, a team on the rise with Avantan Saye, one of those many players. If I get a chance to... Andrea Adam-ish. Right. Just players or kind of like what Emma Grothaus did for Matamida years ago or Jessica January at Richfield taking schools that didn't have a ton of history or a lot of headlines and giving them a platform. Andrea Adams did that for Como Park, turned them into a household name. Right. For all the flack that suburban schools get for all of the uh, recruiting and press coverage, it just goes to show if you're good enough, people will notice. And that has rung true for folks like Yvonne Tensaye or Addie Mack from Blake in her seventh grade season one of the most impressive seventh grade seasons I have ever seen. Yeah. And now she's joining one of the uh, big, uh, big contenders on campus in the IMAC at Minnehaha. So. going to be nice to watch her develop. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was going to be fun no matter what, but to see her go to a school with a lot of history and Minnehaha as well, you know, 
both the boys and the girls, there was a time when they were afterthoughts. And so, of course, you know, the boys got a lot of attention these last two or three years with Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren. But I remember covering them a couple of times when they won the first state title with a bunch of role players. Right. And they were a solid team, but they didn't have a national team figure in Jalen Suggs or a guy who crossed over Steph Curry and Chet Holmgren. And so if you're not on Instagram or Snapchat, nobody seems to know who you are. And the girls, you know, their two state titles came, I don't want to say out of nowhere, but, you know, they were done with teams that folks thought maybe, you know, didn't have enough to go all the way. And that group that won in 2019, you know, was a a solid bunch. And what surprised me, and I know I'm going off on a tangent, I'll get back to my original point at some point, but what surprised me this past year, and I'm not saying... I was expecting equal treatment, but the Minnehaha boys team, they couldn't get enough publicity. They were on ESPN twice and on overtime and slam. Like everyone wanted to be in on the action with Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren and Prince of League Bay. And then when the Millers came in, Hersey and Mercy, you know, the sons of Master P, as if they weren't celebrities enough. Now they have a national following. The girls, you have Mia Curtis, who became the all-time leader in girls basketball for the school. And I think there was one other station when they did the doubleheader with St. Louis Park, but that was it. The girls didn't get much coverage at all. And again, you have to be cognizant of the situation where Minnehaha is, is an exception to the rule and not to say they don't deserve it, but it's rare to see teams like Hopkins and Minnehaha get national exposure the way they did this past season. And the girls, you know, there were some good games. I don't know what it is, what's in the water, but I just found that to be an interesting contrast where the boys got massive crowds, big followings, and people uh, shooting highlights of all their games. And the girls uh, maybe didn't get that same level of recognition, even though they were coming off a state championship and brought back the leading score of that team or one of them, the all time leading score and a three point Southpaw. Yeah. How often do you see that in Mia yeah. Curtis? You're right. Right. You know, and, and it's, I, I appreciate you for acknowledging that and speaking about it. So imagine how the young ladies feel because they, like you said, they, in particular, that mini haha group, they had just come off state championship. And so um, I also think that it's important as coaches, as athletic directors that, um, you know, I, I get in conversations with recruiters or, or coaches, you know, you they might be looking for one thing, but you can offer them something else. You can talk to them about something else. You can acknowledge, you know, we have two programs. We have, we have, we have our girls team is equally as talented. And so it also, you know, becomes a part of our role and responsibility to promote our programs and get our programs out there. Um, and, and get our kids the recognition and the acknowledgement that they deserve as great student athletes, you know, and, and when you, you talk about like Mia Curtis, she speaks two languages, she's on the high honor roll, like those are all things that need to be celebrated. Um, and these girls have been high achievers for a long time. I think the majority of that Minnehaha team um, played their first traveling AAU program and I was their coach, so I knew back then they were great. And I'm like, you guys, well, my big thing was, you should all stay at the same school <laughs> and see what happens. And you know what happens when you stay at the same school and you play together? You win state championship. 
Right, and their path to get there was a bit surreal as well because Matt Pryor, who I'm good friends with now, one of the most respectful coaches I've ever met, has always always has something nice to say about everybody, uh, whether it's his one own team. One of the sharpest dressers, too. He's oh, yes, yes. Too. <laughs> always sharp uh, in game time. So he's always, yeah. uh, especially home games. Road games, it depends on the scenario, but – you're right, always sharply dressed, but yeah. he started at Concordia, and you know, his story is quite amusing. It was, I think, an, a tear in his elbow. He had to get Tommy John surgery for baseball, mm -hmm. and that started his path to coaching basketball, which uh, is quite amusing now, but he was the coach at Concordia, and then his old pal, the athletic director at Minnehaha, Josh Thoreau, said he was stepping down. He gave Matt a call and said, it's time to come home. Matt you know, wasn't sure if he wanted to take the job when he saw them play, but he doesn't regret it now. But he went up against Josh in the section final the year before uh, Minnehaha won their second state title. And Concordia had never gone that far in girls basketball. So he got to work with Yvonne Tensaye and got a glimpse of the player she is now, Yvonne, the all-time leading scorer at Concordia. And then a year later, goes back, wins a state title in his first year. You can't make the stuff up, but it was right. really cool to see. It, because every time you change coaches, you never know how teams are going to look. Uh, they're used to having things done a certain way, and that's not to say they won't adapt to a new system. But, you know, here's somebody who was familiar with the team, but has his own philosophies, but they bought in. We saw that uh, in his first season. And then they come from behind to beat Caledonia, with Mia Curtis on the bench, uh, she fouled out, I think, with eight minutes to go. And I think it was Tatum Rhodes, uh, the younger of the Rhodes sisters, who helped lead the way and get Minnehaha that state championship. So uh, that was really cool to see how that played out. But like you said, sticking together can pay off. Uh, yeah. And no matter what school you attend. And I remember the original point, that I lost track on the Hopkins Farmington game. It was wild. So after I asked around, and I think it was an obvious answer, but I always like to double check. Everyone is saying, yeah, that's a game you should go cover uh, because you had Paige Becker, yeah. Sophie Hart. And over the last couple of years, what I've done to help expand the portfolio and create a win-win for everybody is allying myself with the local community cable stations. Uh, because at that point, I had covered some teams in CC Axis territory uh, just on my own. Same thing with uh, CTV with a few of the schools that I've been doing. But, you know, just reaching out and getting that olive branch where, okay, now I have a stronger case when I go to athletic directors and say, you know, would you mind if I broadcast your game because not only will it air on my YouTube channel, you'll also get some free TV time and yeah. the stations get some extra programming and you know, we get a chance to cover some teams and games that I wouldn't have done just a few years ago. I remember going up to Becker a couple of years ago when they decided to schedule Como Park. Both teams uh, had an open date and seeing what Becker has done. They were a state mm -hmm. championship team back in 2007 with the Masty Twins, uh, but they went through uh, some transitions. Uh, and then you have Mackenzie Kramer for that one year. I know she played against yes. you in state. 
and yes. she gave us a preview of what she would become. She moved over to St. Michael Aberville and yes. became a phenomenal <laughs> player for the Knights. But to see Becker retool, rebuild, and mm -hmm. become the team they are. <laughs> and yes. uh, you speak of how people know me. I went back up there to do a doubleheader with Big Lake, and you should see the schedule they put together this season. They're going to come down to play Holy Angels. And I've said, if it's safe to go down there, I'm at that game. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to cover that one. Uh, because you've got two state tournament contenders there. But the Becker kids, I've only – usually I can only do one or two games a year because of the distance involved. But they all remember me from those visits. Uh, but to see them put together the team they have and you see this following for the girls' games uh, is, is fun to watch mm -hmm. and just fun to see that even outside the metro in these smaller towns, people rally around uh, the women's basketball programs. And to see Becker go from, I don't want to say a one-hit wonder with the Masty Twins because you never want to discount state championships with the nature of high school sports, but to see them become – uh, perennial contender now you know, to have that group of I think sophomores juniors they're going to come back for one more year you know that's cool to see right you know and it, it takes patience it takes discipline for, um, from all parties involved to grow and develop your program and it's nice to see when you know people operate as a as a unit um, for what's going to be in the best interest of the children that are playing because at the end of the day they are still kids um, and they're going to get on the floor and they're going to do what they do. But, you know, I think it's really important that the community supports the program that, that they service. Um, one thing that um, I've been a firm believer in is that if you have a corner store or a, a restaurant that's in the vicinity of your, of your school, um, seek sponsorship from them. Um, let, have them support your, your program. Uh, the the kids love that they they patronize the come to the games um and they're all kind of opportunities that that can come from those partnerships but our kids need that support it is an amazing feeling to walk in the gym and your gym is full and people are waiting and you know to have the cheerleaders and the band there and and to have your you know i i love when we go into uh gyms and they have that support there for their girls athletics because we know we see that a lot at the boys games regardless of who they're playing but especially for their bigger games um, you see you know all of the fanfare come out for in boys athletics and I would just like to see it you know a little more equal across the boards and that's something as coaches and athletic directors we can drive um, and help plan and execute so that our girls have that same platform uh, as the boys um, when it comes to the support, you know, from outside of the, the gym walls, you know, the support from the community. And as we've seen recently with Paige Beckers, especially, and Adalia McKenzie is now getting a following of her own yeah. at Park Center. And this isn't new, of course. People do follow the women's teams. And that's not to say I won't cover men's basketball because it's hard to resist getting the chance to cover the likes of Trey Holloman at Creighton Durham yeah. Hall. Of course, I'm good friends with his mother. And when he went from North to Creighton Durham Hall, I'm going, well, I guess I'll follow suit too. <laughs> yeah. And building a new, building an olive branch there at a school that I hadn't covered a game in in a long time. But, you know, now they're always asking me, when's the game going to go up? Uh, 
Minnehaha, of course. You knew I wanted, you know, I didn't want to leave the boys <laughs> out to dry when you get a chance to see Jalen Suggs and Chet yes. Holmgren players that we might see at the higher levels down the road. You know, it's one of those rare opportunities. And don't forget, we did that Tartan North St. Paul boys game once on a Saturday yes. with a sold out crowd. Yes. And North St. Paul, they got into it. They were one of those teams, didn't get to state over the last few years, but always overperformed their expectations you know they right. didn't have the most talent but Damian Johnson and his pedigree helped that program stay competitive and I can't wait to see if he'll have that same effect at Bedell St. Margaret's where he just accepted a coaching job there but going back to that Central South rivalry of course with Angel Robinson and Taylor Hill they were two once in a lifetime players and it's unfortunate that Angel didn't get a chance to prove herself in the WNBA I think if you had another team or two back then she might have had that opportunity to break in and show right. why she was such a huge deal. But the following year, you know, she left, but you still had a strong group of contenders in Kiara Buford, Thiera Taylor, Georgie Jones, Megan Howard. So most of the pieces were still there. And I've gotten to know Willie Taylor over the years. He will never oversell his team. He's one of those coaches who – is always thinking about how his team could be beat by opponents. It's just one of those folks where, and I get it as coaches, you overthink because you're worried about everything, but they played South twice. So they had a regular season meeting. They played again in the twin cities game. And then they met a third and final time in the state championship. That's something you don't see unless you get a match between two conference opponents. Uh, so it's, so the rarity of playing each other three times is yeah. quite the sight. Minneapolis South, they blew out Central in the first meeting. The second game was closer, and an old friend of mine, Tony Gear, he was one of the few who thought St. Paul Central had a chance. And, you know, it's like, hey, let's see what happens. And, you know, he was on to something. And St. Paul Central, they were a good team. So let's not forget uh, that aspect, even without Angel Robinson. Mm -hmm. but they found a way to slow the tempo down. They kept Taylor Hill to a minimum as far as production and then won a surprise title in 2008, the second year of that Central South rivalry. And the crowd may be a bit smaller than the first time, but still just as big. The 612-651, that was a rivalry I'll never forget because yeah. some of those elements you just can't replicate. And it's, it's a shame that rivalry wasn't able to hold up in the present, uh, but you know, there are outside factors involved in that, but at the start of your broadcasting career to have the central South rivalry among your first set of memories, I'd say that's a good starting point. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. He had some pretty heavy hitters too on those rosters, some coaches that have lineage. So yeah, that's a, that's a really nice start. And they're still involved. Willie Taylor, of course, now at Stillwater. Look what he's done for them. Uh, Neil Jihad, who coached those South teams, now coaching at Edison and helping build that mm -hmm. program up. And, and that's one of many teams that I regret not being able to cover. Of course, when there's one U and 400, 500 schools, you can only right. do so much. But those two, their lineage still being felt today. And speaking of memories, how about Stillwater? Because you and I, when we started calling games together, that was around the time when Sarah Scalia 
she became a household name. So Andrea Adams was one of my big stars in the middle of the decade. Over the last couple of years, it was Sarah Scalia. I don't know if it was her three-point, well, probably her three-point shooting, but not just her three-point shooting. You mentioned Michaela Vanette earlier, and she was a great sharpshooter. So was Suzanne Gilreath. But until Sarah Scalia, I had not met a high school player who could shoot as deep as Sarah did. Yes. I'll never forget the first time that I took notice. I forget, might have been the Forest Lake game, where she is shooting threes from behind the 10-foot line in volleyball. Yes. And in my head, I'm going, are you crazy? <laughs> and she's knocking them down. You know, nothing but net. So you could tell these aren't flukes. Like she was working on it. And I'm going, what in the world? <laughs> Those during, are some fun games. During during warm-ups, when, when we're when we're calling a game together, I like to watch the girls in warm-up because when it's their time to do their freestyle shooting, they usually take their warm-up shots from from their their sweet spots, you know, their their move that they like doing. Um, and Sarah was shooting pretty deep. And I remember saying, is she going to shoot that from in the game? And I had never seen a player shoot deeper than Michaela Vanette until I saw Sarah Scalia play. And it was, it was just routine for her. Um, you know, you, you, there was no running her off the three point line. <laughs> She'd still shoot it and she'd still make it. Uh, so, so that made it very hard uh, to defend her. And she's still, she's still doing that at the U like, um, you know, a lot of times you can give a player a step um, off the three-point line and it'll deter them, you know, push them just a step off the three-point line from shooting and it'll deter them from shooting. Um, but I, I don't know, did Sarah practice two or three steps behind the three-point line? Because she, there, there was no range for her. She just, she was a shooter. She was a flat-out, she is a flat-out shooter. When you said runner off the three-point line, Sarah is one of those players where that strategy doesn't work because for no. her, I think the entire quarter is a three-point line. <laughs> and her dad told me she worked on that from an early age and you know they were heavily invested in the women's games. You may have seen some old school photos of Sarah when she was in elementary school dancing with Maya Moore and the rest of the ladies right. because her family are season ticket holders. And then she became one of the stars for Stillwater and then of course, got to make it all the way to the finals, uh, lost to Hopkins. But much like some of those other teams that needed to build their way up, Sarah Scalia had some glimpses of her promise those first couple of years, but didn't have a lot of help until Alexis Pratt came over from North St. Paul. That's when I started covering Stillwater regularly. And I knew who she was. <laughs> as her mother would say, because of how tiny she is. I mean, obviously, she is not the tallest player out there. But what Alexis did at North St. Paul uh, got me to notice her. And so when she came over to Stillwater, I'm going, well, here's this kid, here's this athlete who can hold her own. I didn't know how much of a pest she was defensively until I got to see yeah. her play at Stillwater. And how quickly she can move down the floor. One of the fastest kids I've seen. And of course that owes to her uh, track dominance as well. Yeah. But to have us join Stillwater's coverage at a time when you had Sarah and Alexis uh, forming this dynamic duo and then Liza Carlin joined them a year later. I mean, how cool is that? Of course, it's fun to see you know, the Blue Bloods like Hopkins and De La Salle over the last few years and to talk about their consistency, the history, 
they etch with every game, but to see teams like Stillwater or Como or Richfield in the Jessica January years to make something out of nothing. Right. Those um, were some, yeah, watching, she gave us a watching, lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Watching Stillwater, it was like building blocks, you know, you have, you, you know, Sarah was there. You have these little pieces that all start to come together, the coaching staff, and then Alexis comes and then Liza comes. And at that point, I'm like, there's no stopping them. They, this is, this is a done deal. There's no stopping them. Uh, so that was, that was really nice to watch them develop and mesh. Um, and, and they all have different skill sets. And so there really wasn't a lot of competition on who's shooting the threes or, you know, who's this, everyone had ownership of their own space. So, you know, Liza handled the paint and she was a four or five who could shoot the three. Um, uh, Pratt handled the point guard position. She could shoot, she could drive. And then um, Sarah, you know, she was just a flat out shooter. And then you have Willie navigating it all. Um, and the and the staff that he had, there was there was no stopping him. Yeah, and that relationship, of course, at Stillwater expanded with my involvement at Valley Access Channel. So I've got to see the volleyball team make state a couple of times. Uh, they yeah. had, of course, a big rivalry with North St. Paul, where they met in the section final for several years. And getting a chance to call a couple of those games <laughs> was a lot yeah. of fun to see uh, two teams again that didn't have a lot of history and I mentioned this because one of the viewers that joined us is the coach at North St. Paul Volleyball and Stephanie Blanda so thanks for watching Stephanie and everyone else who has joined in this Facebook live uh, presentation. Of course Stephanie has called a few games with me on the basketball side as well because she has some connections with the Minnehaha boys program so it just goes to show you all of the cross-pollination that takes place in athletics and that gave me another fun moment because one of the games I called this past season was North St. Paul Minnehaha Boys. Well, one of the big names for North St. Paul Volleyball, Bria Sandifer, her father coached Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren in AAU with grassroots hoops, I believe. And so I would ask, I asked Bria, who are you rooting for? And she said, I got to go with Minnehaha this time around, even though she goes to North St. Paul. And everyone, you know, gave her a hard time in a jovial sense, they understood, yeah. you know, that family or friends, those kinds of ties uh, sometimes supersede the school you go to. But I would see Jalen and Chet go to Bria's volleyball games when they were free and she would go to their basketball games. So yeah. it was really cool to see these two big names. <laughs> and I was joking about this with my broadcast partner because he is a good friend with Jessica January. And so like Brio would joke about hanging out with these two, much like uh, Eric is his name, would hang out with Jessica. And they were known, you know, it's not like they were nobodies, but when right. you're next to these star athletes, uh, you're a B-lister, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so they thought it was amusing where they could go incognito while their friends uh, can't go 10 feet without being recognized by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a, I guess a, the struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is real. On that note, I know I've talked about people recognizing me, players, uh, current players or coaches or that kid from Shakopee who has to take a picture with me. So Latoya, has anyone come up to you and recognized you from any of the games that we've called because uh, you've been on hand for the last two years to call my most watched game. Stillwater Woodbury 
which has over 300,000 views, and Hopkins Farmington, which is getting close to 150,000. So there are more than a few people who have seen your hairstyles. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think maybe I'm, I, yes, I have been recognized from the film. Um, it usually starts with, you look really familiar. Where do I know you from? And I will respond, well, do you play girls basketball? And then they're like, you're on the TV with, you know, that one guy, Mike Keaton. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. But because I changed my hair so much, um, that gives me a little bit of a buffer. But, you know, Mike, I've been around the basketball scene for quite some time. So prior to the um, uh, broadcasting with you, I knew a lot of the athletes. Uh, and not just knowing them from training them, but like, you know, knowing them personally from church or social services or, or whatever, it, you know, it might be how I've come in contact with them. But uh, I, yeah, you've seen me in the gym. <laughs> As we've joked, and you seem to embrace it now, you know, just about everybody, or at least yeah. our mutual friends have all said, <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody. And Speaking of some of these more recent ones, we mentioned getting to see Stillwater go from an under 500 team to a perennial contender. And I'll be curious to see what next year's team looks like with Liza gone. You've got Alexis mm -hmm. Pratt for one more year and Amber Scalia. But over these last few years, the De La Salle program in 3A became a standard bearer. And it was a shame they didn't get a chance to defend their state title in a rematch with Becker, of course, safety was paramount but when Tanisha Scott took over for Faith Johnson Patterson that was a team in transition and that was not long after she got De La Salle at three-peat until then they had never won a state title in girls basketball the boys teams had some history with Dave Thorson especially but Faith moved over from north to De La Salle took a couple of her players with her in Alina Starr and Tyshana Johnson they Great. were the dynamic duo that help lead De La Salle to those three state titles. But Tanisha Scott takes over. And what she told me, I never forgot this. She didn't want to bring her sisters with her because she was coaching uh, Morgan. And I think she was going to looking forward to coaching Jade at Minneapolis South, but wanted the chance to go back home, a De La Salle graduate. And it took her a while. Of course, you beat De La Salle in the section final that first year. And then the next couple of years, they got to state, but they were knocked out in the quarterfinals. And then they win the title, but it was an unusual path to get there. Half their team was hurt to start the season, so no one really thought much of them. And apparently, even the kids were wondering, where's Mike? Because uh, I hadn't covered their games until the end because half the team was hurt. And it's like, well, let's see what happens. Right. But over that span, you saw, well, Keani Lockett, grow into her game and she really took that to another level this past season Nora Francois and NJ Weems giving you a solid post presence and Nora giving you that stretch four presence to boot Sydney Runsway Savannah White you had some pretty good players Mary Claire Francois as well let's not forget her right. so to right. see Tanisha take this team and don't for oh I for almost forgot Elena Jones was hurt so oh, yeah yeah one e of the you know starters one of your top players can't help out and to see her take a team that was on the cusp you know they got to state were knocked out in the quarterfinals so you knew they were good but they 
just had a hard time getting over that last hurdle. And then they finally do it in a season where maybe no one expected them to early on with all the injuries. I mean, you got to give props to Tanisha for what she was able to do to build that program in her five years there to turn them into a perennial into a powerhouse in class 3a i thought they were going to be you know they they had the pieces i thought they were going to dominate for years patience and discipline you know on both the the athletes part and the coaching part and and you know the community that supports the program and um tanisha took what she had and she continued to develop those girls she made some changes in her coaching staff um and she really invested in uh, making that team what they are now and we watch those girls grow and we watch them develop um, and we watch their energy level increase and we watch them walk into their purpose and that's what happens you you get to that state platform uh, when you put the time in and she definitely put the time in into working with those girls and when you have you know the, the kids talk so if you have a good program they're going to tell their friends or the kids that are, you know, if you have a feeder program, if they, if they see something that they're, they'll like, I mean, if you go to, you, you can go to a deal cell game, you'll see a ton of sixth, seventh and eighth graders there. It's because they're watching. Do I want to play for this coach? Do I want to go here? Or I want to be like her. I want to play like her. Uh, and so you, you present a good product. You'll get good, good players to come and play uh, in your program. So uh, she did a, an amazing job. And this past season, as a testament to their growth in talent and competitive ability, they took down two high-level 4A teams, St. Michael Abbeville and Eden Prairie. Some of the insiders joke about 3A being a junior league for 4A and that when a 3A and 4A team of similar rankings or level meet, usually it's the 4A teams that went out. Here's this 3A team that's scoring wins against perennials, not pushovers here. and to me, that spoke volumes to the growth, to the evolution of that program, where you get a 3A team getting statement wins, not only in your conference, but against higher level 4A teams. It's a huge confidence booster for the entire program. And, you know, attending De La Salle, I don't want to take anything away from the De La Salle family. De La Salle has a rich history. They've always supported um, their academic scholars as well as their athletic superstars. Uh, so it's just as a whole, it's a very healthy environment for uh, young athletes to be in uh, on the island. And so um, all of those things intertwine together. You know, a little patience, you have a good program. And speaking of, I got to give props to their trimetro conference rival in Holy Angels because I think mm-hmm. when you came in, you, of course, you got to play Holy Angels while you were coaching. They were defined by Destiny Oberg, Kaylee Vanderwerf, and Laura Bigwell-Katalinik, of course, a part of that state championship team in 2016. But everyone knew they had to look out for the post players, especially Destiny. Uh, if she got herself established, it was tough to get her to move. But then she goes over to Kennedy. Kaylee goes to Burnsville. Everyone's thinking, well, Holy Angels, maybe their best days are behind them. And instead, <laughs> yes, instead, <laughs> and then there was Frankie and Cassie Karen had a great sophomore season this yes. past year. Rachel Kawicki, one of those uh, lunch bucket, lunch pail role players, if 
that's the best way of putting it. It's the job or, done. You're right. It's kind of the all-around that does get the job done. Uh, Grace Massacoy this past season hadn't played a single minute of competitive basketball until this last season outside of AAU, I believe. No. And, <laughs> and no. look okay, at your so, so let me back up. If you want to talk about one of the most exciting um, moments is when I first saw Grace play. And I think we were at the um, St. Thomas. That, yep. They play at the uh, Thanksgiving tip-off every year. And I'm like looking at my notes going, who's this kid? Why have we never seen her? And I remember talking to her and trying to get like her, her story. Like, you know, what school did you come from? Where did you play before? And when she said, this is my first year playing, I'm like, you're kidding me. So that was amazing watching her play. And uh, it was, it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, even though they, they've had the time off, a lot of the girls who are athletes, they're still training. Um, they've, they've adapted their training routine um, so that it's COVID safe. But um, it's going to be amazing to see her next year. Absolutely. I have a feeling she'll find a spot on the starting lineup with the Henry twins graduating. But people I've worked with, Olivia Antill is one of them because she coaches her at AAU. They were aware of what she could do, but to not play a single minute of basketball until you're a sophomore and to do what she's doing. I mean, and she's no slouch. Like you could tell she belongs out there. Yes. There were, I think she had a couple double doubles in the season. And as you were saying, it's shocking that this kid had never played before. Yeah. And it just, it looks so effortless, effortless for her. You know, they, she, she would come off the bench and, you know, after watching them a couple of times, I figured out, you know, they're, the game plan, like when Grace comes off the bench, you're going to a full court press. She'd intercept those, those passes and Grace every single game would get that six to eight really quick points right away. And the other team would be forced to call a timeout. It's like too late. <laughs> well, she's got a lot of potential and Holy Angels to me, they'll be a team to watch in the tri-metro and in 3A yes. for sure, along with Becker. That's why the matchup between the two is going to be a lot of fun. And we've talked about some of the big matchups and names. I guess I'll throw a little history lesson. We'll see how well you can follow along, but okay. we mentioned the oh. central South rivalry. I know another favorite memory of mine was going all the way down to Owatonna. This is when Carly Wagner and Chase Coley were seniors. Uh, Tim Williams has the super 60 event. I don't know if it's still going, but he set that up. Uh, as you've seen, a lot of these organizations set up these invitationals to get as many teams as you can featured. And I like it. Hamlin and St. Thomas, it's fun to see those two go tit for tat now with their mm -hmm. tip-offs. It was Hamlin was the only show in town Thanksgiving weekend for all those years. And I don't know who, the group in charge of putting together the St. Thomas invite, but they took some of those teams that played at Hamlin and that left Hamlin pretty bare as far as teams. And then right. they go out and get Hopkins and Roseville and some other high-level 4A teams. And then some of them now moved over to St. Thomas. So now you see Eastview and Grand Rapids, Anoka, and Cambridge Isani. And so to see all of these invites grow where you get all of these uh, neutral site venues, it's just really fun to watch. And I love yeah. it because I get to – 
cover some teams that I may not see the rest of the year just because of distance. You know, Grand Rapids, right. I live about two hours south, so it's not easy right. to get up there. Or Cambridge, Isani, or with St. Thomas, uh, always a treat to see Aquinas and Dowling Catholic because right. you know, we don't always we don't get to go to Iowa, Wisconsin all that much. And even if I'm apparently known among the Aquinas fan base because they were asking me if I was going to cover another game. And unfortunately it overlapped the Stillwater game that I had to go to because of assignments. So it's like, even the Wisconsin teams are, well, they, they know they, who I am. The community, they absolutely love your film. Um, uh, you, you do highlights in your reels, you know, in the film, um, you have information about the players that a lot of time the other broadcasters or, um, general public, they might not know about this player, so it makes it more personable, and it also increases the students, uh, the athletes' fan base. So um, they want to see you at the games, and I always tell the girls, when you see Mike, you better get excited. <laughs> As Matt Pryor told me, anytime I show up to Minnehaha game, his girls' team, they always get excited, or he told me, They'll do their hair. They'll freshen yeah. up they, so that they look good on camera. Yeah. So it's almost like if they know I'm coming, they they get amped up or prepped for it, which is right. amusing. Uh, but some other big matchups I had the chance to see. Well, Minneapolis, Washburn, and New Richland. Uh, because the two had met when Washburn was a 2A school in the state semifinal back in 2013, and Chase got bumped in the nose, had to stop for a little bit, and that was enough to make the difference to help uh, New Richland beat Washburn and then beat mm -hmm. Bram in one of the greatest state tournament games I ever had the chance of witnessing in person. That was Carly Wagner and Rebecca Dahlman, so the two highest scores in Minnesota girls basketball history uh, squared off for the right to win a state title, and Carly Wagner won that game basically by herself. Yeah. I think she yeah. had... I think she had 50 or so, 50 of their 60 points. She had a lot. And they just kept feeding her the ball. And Rebecca Dahlman just matched her toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And it's a shame that, you know, Rebecca's college career was derailed somewhat by ailments and especially. But, you know, they'll always have a piece of history. And I think Carly is now playing overseas. But the next year. They set it up so that Washburn and New Richland would meet. And Carly Wagner, before like Andrea Adams or Paige Beckers, everywhere she went, the community followed in New Richland. She was a big deal. So That's a great was, feeling. Yep. So I'll never forget. Well, Owatonna is closer to New Richland than Minneapolis is. So I remember covering that game and seeing a sea of black and red because those are the NRHEG school colors. Yeah. And it was a pseudo home game for Carly and her crew. Uh, on the boys' side, North and Hopkins, they have a rivalry. They play each other every year, but the first year of that rivalry was probably the best chapter. Hopkins won by two, but that was a meeting of Amir Coffee. I don't know if you remember him. Yep. And Tyler Johnson, who is now going to catch touchdowns from Tom Brady for Tampa Bay, we hope. Another sold-out game where you had Tyler Johnson, who stayed home, stayed at Minneapolis North. You know this with open enrollments. A lot of the North Minneapolis kids go to Hopkins or DSL yeah. or Cooper or nearby schools. 
when North was in danger of closing, that scattered a lot of talented athletes elsewhere. And it makes sense because, you know, you want to go to a school that you know won't be in danger of closing. Right. But Larry McKenzie comes in to help rebuild the North program. And that year, they ended up winning the state title in Class A. But the first couple of years, Maranatha was the roadblock. They just couldn't get past them in the section final. But that North Hopkins game, Larry McKenzie, as you know, wants to schedule tough. So he's always looking for high-caliber teams in the metro, outside the state. And it's also a great community outreach as well. Right. Uh, they, you may have heard they took a trip to East Grand Forks this past year. and. It was well-received, East Grand Forks. They loved having it. The coaches and the two teams built a great rapport. And so East Grand Forks said, yeah, we're going to come down and play you at your place. Uh, so just one of those building blocks that Larry McKenzie is known for right. from his time coaching. But that North Hopkins, the first meeting, it was everything you could ask for. Flashy, athletic, a lot of dunks, a lot of big plays. A lot of D1 athletes. You had the Blue Blood and Hopkins, uh, the resurrected North team. I was bummed I had to call that game by myself because that was oh. one of those games where everyone was there. Everybody yeah. had to get in early if you wanted a good seat. And one of my good friends didn't get there in time and missed out. And <laughs> she was ticked, uh, Nia Holly, because she knows uh, – if you want to pick her brain, she knows a lot about history, especially of North Minneapolis athletes. So she has a lot of praise for Tyler Johnson and what he did, not only staying home in high school, but doing the same thing in college, staying in Minnesota. And we all know what happened. And I think your broadcast allows a lot of girls who, who wouldn't traditionally be able to see that many athletes playing for other schools or other programs, because you have your broadcast, you allow them to be able to see other athletes play. Um, I love it when they can support each other or be in attendance for milestones that are um, going to be made. You know, when we, when we go out and we watch girls hit their thousand points and they have other athletes from other schools that are there to support them. I love seeing that um, your broadcast allows that because we're, we're talking about those point totals and how many they're away or they're getting to see other players um, who maybe play at the same position that they play at um, and learn different techniques and skill sets and elevate their game. So again, your, your broadcast serves a huge purpose in our basketball community, um, allowing girls to see games that they traditionally wouldn't get a chance to see or players. And how many more memories? Oh, I mentioned Jessica January more than once. So here's why her name keeps coming up. Of course, she had a great career at Richfield, still the all-time right. leading scorer there. But this has become a part of her repertoire. She took part in gymnastics at an early age. And as I've learned over the last few years, a lot of basketball players, your daughter included, would take up that sport. And not just smaller players. Mallory Heyer did the same thing. And I think a few others that I've talked to on this podcast and elsewhere also dabbled in gymnastics and of course for folks like Mallory Hire, the running joke is you you're in there until you're too tall to compete <laughs> but for Jessica this is before I met you but I have never met a player who could 
do cartwheels in the middle of a game like she did. This is back in the classic suburban. So Richfield and Hill Murray played each other and Hill Murray wanted a runaway, but Jessica January was diving for a loose ball, lost her balance and just did a cartwheel on the floor. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm going, what? <laughs> My broadcaster and I are going, how does that we, happen? <laughs> like, did she just cartwheel in the middle of a game? I've seen her do somersault splits. So, yeah. Uh, that was something I have never seen before and I haven't seen since. And that's just one of uh, another memory from my early years before subscribers were a thing or getting a chance to cover all of the Hill sisters following <laughs> Taylor. And right. We almost lost you there <laughs> on the video feed. And with each passing year, you just add more to it. And it's gotten to a point where it's hard to cover teams more than maybe two, three times a year because now I've got to add this team to the calendar or this team to the right. calendar. And of course you're feeding me info about all these new players. So now I'm following Ava Holman and um, I'm yeah. going to have to try to make my way to Osseo yes. this upcoming season. And so like with that being said, um, you know, trying to get everyone in, uh, in one season, guys, if you're transferring coaches if you're going to a new position you got to let us know so that we'll keep it confidential but we want to get you on the calendar because if we if if we don't find out until the beginning of the season we pretty much have our our um our calendar set you know so that we can get to a lot of the big games so let us know where you're playing at um and where you want to see you know mike's camera crew at uh so that we can we can get your games up on film uh, and, and get some exposure and, and get you out there. We love watching you guys play. Yes, you and I can't get enough uh, basketball as we've seen over the last few years. And I don't know, with your youngest daughter now playing in college at Anoka Ramsey, will that free you up to do some more games or how's that going to work out? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I am there. <laughs> Because I know that was the hardest thing about these last couple of seasons. You wanted to call my games, but you also wanted to be there to see Demaya get some buckets uh, for Maranatha. And that was a program that one of many that I wish I covered sooner because I got to become friends with Onyo Seminum, who was the former all-time rebounding leader until Jacqueline Jarnett passed her, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, you saw what the Jarnets did at Maranatha with Elena and Jacqueline, and they had some solid support around them to keep Maranatha in the Class A state tournament. And I think they got there in two-way as well for a year, but this was a group that was always in the conversation and found new players to step in when folks like Elena Jarnett uh, graduated. Right, right. You know, it comes down to that – having that lineage and, and the support uh, and having those feeder programs. You know, Maranatha is a K through 12 program. So there's always someone in the ranks waiting. And when you have dynamic players on your squad, those, those younger kids are looking up. They want to be in that position, in that role. And when you have an effective coaching staff, it's kind of a no-brainer. It just, it just happens. And I think for Maranatha, it just happened. Everything aligned. Um, and it and it worked out for for them. And you spoke of milestones a little while ago. 
that same Forest Lake game where we saw Sarah Scalia's range on full display for the first time, that's when Alexis Pratt got her 1,000 points. And I remember all of her buddies from Tartan showed up. Uh, TK yeah. Mason, who's now at Creighton Durham Hall, I think Azaria Chevry was there because they had a night off and they all showed up just to support Alexis. And I I've think that's huge in our oh, basketball community. I would love to see, that's what I would like to see more of when I'm at the games. Um, when, when girls have an off night, I would love to see them supporting uh, other players. Uh, and really, really, you know, a lot of times we're, we're scouting, but I would like to see them supporting other players. Uh, there's enough for everyone to eat. And usually my skill set is different than your skill set. So um, I would like to uh, see the, the young ladies support and encourage each other um, a little more along this journey. Because even though you get the hype and the fanfare from your family and from your coaches, uh, sometimes it's, you, we have some gyms that are very tough to play in. Uh, and if you have that support system around you, it helps. And so uh, I, would, I would definitely like to see that part of the game grow um, because we have so many dynamic players out here right now. Like Minnesota is a hot spot for girls basketball. And we have some amazing players. And um, if I can remember a name, because you guys know how bad I am at names, but if I can remember a name, you should be able to remember the name too. Like you should know who, if you're a shooter, you should know who your top five shooters are in the state. Um, if, you know, if you're, if you lead your team in assist, you should know who else is leading in a, an assist. Um, so I would love to see that part of uh, our game, uh, develop, um, off the court, you know, the, the young ladies supporting each other, working out with each other, um, firm believer that iron sharpens iron. And I think it'll, it'll start to happen, um, more, especially since we've all been, um, on lockdown, uh, for so long now you know, we're going to be so excited to see each other <laughs> and hopefully we'll, we'll be more supportive of each other. Whenever we're able to meet up again. Yeah, and they're playing AAU right now. So, you know, I guess we'll see in a, in a few weeks what numbers look like um, from, for, yeah, for those players in those situations. But um, I have a close friend who she still has children who are playing AAU um, and she's been very diligent about wearing her mask and using her hand sanitizer and washing her hands and she tested positive this week. Um, and the only place that she's really, you know, been in contact with other people had, it's been at the AAU tournament. So that'll be interesting to see uh, what those numbers look like here shortly. Um, and I'm sure Minnesota State High School League, are mo they're monitoring that as well. They are, and we're supposed to get some sort of update in early August as what the fall sports calendar will look like as we monitor this ongoing situation. And I know I've had a few friends, including one in my basketball circle, who told me she tested positive and it yeah. knocked her out for a while. So yeah, on the men, but... And this has been extremely hard for me because I'm a hugger. And so when, I, when people see me, you know, they usually hug me and I hug them back and... You know, I we that just hasn't been a possibility. You can't do that right now. So, um, I really I was looking forward to being in the gym this summer um, and catching some of the AAU games, just because we have so many great athletes right now and so many young great athletes right now, um, and just haven't been able to do it. So I miss you guys. <laughs>
Yeah, I haven't gone out much over the last four months, and I would have been working my job at Major League Baseball, yeah. but I wasn't invited back. Uh, mostly the responsibilities of that job would be difficult to execute under current parameters. Yeah. Anyway, but like, all right, now it's going to be until at least September before I get another chance to cover a game if it's uh, safe to do so. Of course, with the statewide mask mandate, maybe that will help uh, bring numbers down. We'll see. We won't know and for a few weeks anyway. But where was I going with this before we jumped in on all of the <laughs> this? Oh, yeah. So... If you're still watching on Facebook Live, we'll be on for a few more minutes at least, so feel free to drop a comment if you have any memories or want to say hello as we celebrate 10,000 subscribers, an accomplishment that's worth celebrating, especially for yes. a channel that mostly covers high school sports. I think the only other station in the Twin Cities that I know of that has over 10,000 is CCX, but they have a massive following for their volleyball coverage. And of course, Hopkins being one of their schools, they got to cover Paige Beckers a few times. So they cashed in on that. Well, everyone who covered Paige Beckers uh, benefited uh, this past season. But you spoke of the crossover support. That's what I wanted to get at. The De La Salle Ha Ha rivalry, I know you got to call one of those with me. I don't know what that will look like moving forward, but uh, one year I saw Paige Beckers show up to support Mia Curtis. So that was a year at De La Salle where if you wanted to get a seat, you had to get there early because De La Salle's gym is small, not a lot of space in there. And so there were more than a few friends who uh, were turned away because they didn't get in in time. I think my favorite story from that was Crystal Flynn. Her husband couldn't get in. But because Crystal is friends with Tanisha Scott, she had some connections. She was able yeah. to get in to watch both games. So she got in yeah. and her husband didn't. Uh, but that game, or at least uh, the boys' version that year, speaking of big names, Tyrell Terry was one of them. And now I think he's in position to get drafted in the NBA. I know they haven't had it yet. They would have had the draft a while ago, but obviously everything has gone by the wayside as far as scheduling. So that's one of those games where I'm getting more uh, viewers as of late because people want to see Tyrell Terry, I guess. And it goes back to something you had said as some of these boys and girls basketball athletes. And now as I'm expanding, volleyball could fall under this as well because I had the chance to cover Maddie Whittington for Stillwater, who won uh, Miss Volleyball this past season. As they develop a following at the college level and beyond, you're going to have more fans wanting to look up these athletes. Mm -hmm. But to see Paige Beckers and Mia Curtis go to each other's games when they were able, they were on the same AAU team, of course. Oh, that was pretty cool. Absolutely. You know, as a being behind the mic, I, I enjoy, I enjoy coaching and training, but being behind the mic, it allows me to support a vast number of athletes. You know, I don't, I, you know, coaching, you know, I'm at Como. If I'm at a different game, the girls know I'm there to scout. <laughs> so, um, I, I like being able to go to different games and, and coach girls at, or, um, broadcast girls at different schools. I think our coaching community um, 
we're a little bound, you know, because we, you, you, you put so much time into your program that it's hard to get to see other girls play unless it's, you know, an off night or a weekend. Uh, and you, you usually, those off nights, you want to spend it with your family or you're watching film. But our trainers, our trainers are cross-training girls from, from different schools and different communities. And so when they put those girls together, those might be athletes that they didn't have a connection with, but through that training process, they get to see them um, and they learn more about them and they end up coming uh, to their games and supporting them uh, for their milestones. Some of those young ladies have played together forever. Um, Alexis Pratt, TK, um, a couple of the other girls on the Cretan team, I, they were all in my Fortune 5 Sports Academy with uh, Amanda Galloway, um, fourth and fifth grade. And so they've been around each other for a long time. So it's good to see those relationships develop and, and continue, especially um, in today's society where bullying is so prevalent. Um, and we've, you know, being a coach at Como, we've had some, some games where the crowds have been very hostile. Uh, so it's nice to see the, the support that the young ladies have for each other because it can be tough. I mean, you're managing... You're managing your academics, you're managing your social life, you're managing your athletics, and then a lot of the young ladies that we're covering, they are Division One, Division Two prospects, and so now they're managing the recruitment process. Uh, so it can be a, a tad bit, so I'm glad to see them continuing to support each other. And to add to that point, one of our uh, perhaps best memories from this past season, seeing Ronnie Porter get a 1,000 points and she was serenaded by several of her AAU teammates, including yeah. Myra Morjani and Nia Holloway from Eden Prairie. They all play on the same North Tartan team. And then I remember going to the Chaska EP section game as a fan because I developed a friendship with the Holloways after I interviewed Nia at a game at St. Catherine. Something I've learned, by the way, if you interview athletes after the game, that's a good way to get the attention of their parents. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you've, if you've never interviewed them before because they, yeah. they see you with a microphone interviewing this kid and they're going, who is this guy? How do I get a hold of him? So where's that, want, film, where's that film going to be at? <laughs> if you want to get on the parents' radar, interview their children because uh, they will take notice. But no, seriously, the Holloway's really nice, genuine group of people and so I'm glad I got the chance to meet them but I went to the Chaska Eden Prairie section final and then I saw Ronnie and KK and several other members of the Como team show up to support Myra and Nia yeah. of course Eden Prairie won that final and moved on to state so uh, that was real cool to see oh and KK Adams was there too the two never yep. played on the same team but I think Yolanda explained those two go back a ways and so KK showed up to cheer on Ronnie for 1,000 yep. points and showed up to her graduation. So, yep. again, going back to how Hopkins, and I've said this in a couple of Hopkins broadcasts, how they could have been caught up in the Hollywood atmosphere they got this past season. Slam did a documentary series about them with Paige, of course, being a senior. And toward the end, she had 20-minute lines of autographs. It got yeah. to a point where she and her dad would come separately so the rest of the team wouldn't have to wait for her on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. everyone you know, wanted a picture it's, with Paige. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing. 
um, how these young ladies are navigating their stardom and they're doing they're doing a great job um, I love when they uh, talk to the younger kids and encourage them and motivate them um, it, it is a, it is amazing to see them handling uh, their press very well uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be able to watch those developments and then you know we see the young ladies who are really shy on camera the first time we talk to them uh, and then as it as it develops because they're they're the leading scorer on their team so the next time we we, we go to a game it's going to still be them that we're, that we're interviewing at the end of the game they start to get stronger uh, in their interview skills so and they're watching the film they watch they they they, they take enough um, snapchats and <laughs> Facebook lives and Instagrams, they'll, they make the adjustment. Well, I know they pay attention because I remember the season opener, Providence Maranatha, and I interviewed a pair of the Providence athletes after the game. They were having a little fun with Kira Miller when I asked her about that three she hit late to seal it. And <laughs> her response was, I was just feeling it or something like that. So the kids were having a little fun uh, yeah. with that. But I, that's another bridge that I built. And for someone like me, it's great. And then on the other hand, you're going, oh, great. Now there's another team I got to go cover. Same yeah. thing with Hopkins. I just remember asking because Paige's dad knew who I was. And these are, these are some of the more obscure memories that I want to share. It's not just high school basketball where I've built these connections. I covered a women's semi-pro team for a couple of years that a lot of players that I follow now were on Tanisha Scott, Ashley Ellis Milan, Kasheen yeah. Alexander before she took a D1 coaching job, Daniel Ellison, of course, Tanisha, Ashley, Danielle were all together at DLSL. Those three are inseparable as far as I'm yeah. concerned. No matter what, they're always together and always giving Tanisha a hard time about her NFL allegiance. She's a Broncos fan, everyone else around here, Vikings fans. So uh, <laughs> that uh, creates a little fun poking of the bear, if you will. Uh, but the first iteration of that team was the Jaguars. Jenna Smith was a part of that group, and I didn't get a chance to cover her, but she was one of those standouts at Bloomington Kennedy, one Miss Basketball mm -hmm. and a state title. Uh, but Melissa Young was the coach of that team, and Paige's dad, Bob, helped her out. So he remembered me from those games I appeared in, and then as his daughter grew up, of course, no one knew her. his daughter would become one of the right. greatest prep and probably going to be a great athlete at UConn. I don't want to say for sure because you never know with college careers, but... I'll say it. I'll say it. She's <laughs> going to be one of the greatest to come out of UConn. I'll say it. <laughs> she certainly has the potential, again. And the reason I say that is not because I'm sheepish, but Lindsey Whalen, for example, was third-team All-Metro that was the year Susan King won this basketball. I think if you were to have a do-over, you might look at that list a little differently. Yeah, or I, would I would have called it. I would have called it. At this point, we know it. We know. We can say it. <laughs> or Rachel Bannum. I covered her a few times at Lakeville North, but she was one of the pieces. She wasn't the star. She was a star because she was playing alongside Cassie Rochelle for all those years. Mm -hmm. And the first time I saw her play, surprisingly, was against Minneapolis South when Rachel was a sophomore, Taylor was a senior. So uh, something of a passing of the torch when mm -hmm. I first saw Taylor play when she was a sophomore and Angel was a senior. Yeah. So funny how that all works out. And then I covered Rachel a few more times in her high school career. I knew she was good. 
I did not know she would become the player she was. So that's why I'm cautious about saying Paige is going to be the greatest player in UConn history because you have well, all that history. Well, I don't history. know about the greatest player of UConn history, but she's going to be <laughs> a great player at UConn. Right, because uh, she's got Rebecca Lobo, Sue Bird, Swing Cash, Maya yeah. Moore, Tina Charles, Brianna Stewart. Although I she's thought in it was, the right place. She's well, in the right place. How awesome, though, was it to have Brianna Stewart interview Paige Beckers on Instagram a while ago to have one of the UConn greats interview someone who will likely be a UConn great? I mean, yeah. that's just something like a year or two ago. We knew Minnesota basketball was on the map, but now everyone knows. And right. there's been some talk about the restrictions in geography playing a part. And I get, I think you have a stronger argument now than you did maybe a year or two ago uh, because Minnehaha Academy, for example, hosted Sierra Canyon, got a big win, uh, runaway win, I should add. And Hopkins, you know, they could only go so far, but every team they played outside the state, they were able to get the win. But around the state, we knew about all the talent that was coming out of here. Now that we have more of a national profile, I think you're going to have a stronger argument. I don't expect the geography restrictions to be lifted anytime soon, especially with what we're dealing with now. But now you have some research, some evidence to suggest that Minnesota teams can compete Absolutely. elsewhere. Absolutely. And I, and I think that once we um, get these restrictions lifted, not only are, you know, our, our athletic programs have always, you know, had a little bit of a struggle financially um, and to open it up to national play um, would only help us to be able to bring in some of those nationally ranked teams to um, play some of our teams that are winning that we know are good that are stacked with division one players, division two players um, to, you know, recoup some of those resources. I think that would be an amazing idea. Um, and it also gives them healthy competition. When I look at our schedule at Como Park, the, the conference has not been strong in years. And it does the players a disservice for them to have to go through conference play at that level and then expect them to be able to compete when it's section time. They need to get some stronger um, uh, competition throughout the season and, you know, having them play and you, and you don't want to um, have a matchup that might be, you know, a precursor to your, uh, a state game or a, um, a section game. Um, you want to keep that momentum or that excitement there. So having, you know, being able to cross over um, those geographical, geographical lines would be huge for them. So I hope Minnesota State High School League looks at that um, uh, as a possibility once we are done with all of our um, COVID restrictions. Uh, it would just, it would be, it would be really great for the kids. And then, you know, the same thing, iron sharpens iron. Uh, it's amazing to be able to play from, uh, you know, play against the best team, you know, in your, in your conference or your section against the best team in the conference or the section from Illinois or Florida or wherever that, um, team may be coming from so and it would be great footage for you too as long as ESPN doesn't come calling I remember <laughs> and I have to give props the Minnehaha boy staff I've got a strong rapport with them especially Chandler Centel and another one of their coaches clued me in on that 
ESPN doubleheader yeah. because I think they were hoping I would cover it in some capacity. And then yeah. when ESPN said they were going to do both games, I just told them, okay, well, I'll probably cover something else. Not a knock on you, but ESPN, if they're there to cover the game, you know, they have, there are certain restrictions on who else can be there. So I said, well, thanks for letting me know. I mean, I, so I take that as a gesture that it was a series they hoped I would be there to cover myself. But, hey, when ESPN comes calling, you know, yeah. <laughs> how yeah. can you pass that up? Soon, um, hopefully they'll let us all play in the sandbox at the same time. One day. <laughs> but speaking to your point, AZ Fudd, one of the best members of the junior class, she and Paige Beckers have a strong friendship from their USA experiences, but they couldn't play each other in a high school game due to geography. So, you know, that's one of those matchups that really could have uh, been a huge seller, something you could promote easily. But yeah. it's one of those things, again, we're still trying to sort out this pandemic. Once that settles, I think you'll see discussions return to some of those talking points we had before everything blew up. But some of the other uh, obscure sports, I guess, that led to exposure opportunities I never knew I would get. I did women's football for several years. So there was a team called the Minnesota Machine that played in the WFA. They folded up years ago. But another team that had been around uh, moved over to that league, the Minnesota Vixen. Uh, and I got a chance to cover one of their games for Town Square. But I did the WFA Championship Series for a couple of years before they worked out a deal to have them streamed on television or these larger streaming outlets. Well, I had a producer reach out to me to ask for footage of one of my old games from those championships. I think it was Boston and San Diego because she did not quite a last dance level <laughs> documentary. So it's only one part, not 10, but she did an expose where she followed the Boston Renegades for an entire season asked to use my video. And I said, all right, that's fine. I figured out oh, it'll show up on YouTube or maybe one of these uh, smaller outlets. I didn't realize until later that she had set up an arrangement to have the documentary aired on the ESPN network. So I have a snippet of my footage and my voice appear on an ESPN program that got rebroadcast on ABC a couple weeks ago. Nice. And I'm going like, I had no idea this was going to be on ESPN. If you had told me, I, I mean, I agreed to it anyway, but it's like, if you had told me, I would have said something. We should, uh, we should do little clips of, you know, we have, we have the highlight clips for, I have 10% left on my, my battery, just so you know. Okay. But, um, you know how we do the highlights for the, you know, a certain move that the athletes do. We should do your voice moves, you know, like when you say bullseye. <laughs> do your, you got to get you a clip. A uh, highlight reel. Okay, well, I'll have to keep that in mind, or you're going to give another video editor some cheesy or cheeky idea and start <laughs> mashing up all of my sayings into one super cut because I've got a few. Uh, so, to preserve your battery power, as we look ahead, who knows how many games we'll get a chance to cover, how many people will be allowed to attend games, even as yeah. we still sort out what this pandemic will look like. If we can get numbers down, maybe we'll be able to bring more people in safely. But no matter what, we hit 10,000 subscribers. I'm guessing the next 10,000 will come more quickly, but what are some of your hopes and your aspirations as you and I continue 
our basketball coverage and our sports coverage as we look to grow beyond 10,000. Oh, wow. What are my hopes and dreams? I just want to be able to continue to do this. I want to continue to see our arena for girls athletics in general continue to grow. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the athletes who have went on to play, uh, come back and support the basketball community here in Minnesota and continue to develop uh, the younger ladies that are underneath them. Um, I just want to see the programs grow. I want to see healthy environments for the young ladies to um, grow and develop, um, not only in basketball, because, you know, when you, you know, for those of us who have played college basketball, it, it's not just basketball. And so I would like to see our programs develop into not just basketball um, to be able to cover cover some of their community activities that they're doing out in the communities. I know um, Creighton Durham Hall, they do community cleanups in, in preseason to be able to highlight uh, some of those things that the uh, young ladies are doing and, and showing their support for each other in the, the community that they're, they're playing in. So um, that is what I would like to see. I'd also like to see you be able to get additional crews so then we can cover more games. So, you know, we might have a crew at game A and a crew at, at game B. So, um, that would be really nice to uh, have a bigger production crew. And then if I could get hair and makeup and M&Ms with no peanuts and no, just kidding. <laughs> so you're not a peanut M&M person. I will remember that. I'm partial <laughs> to the peanut butter or crispy myself. And, oh, I love the peanut butter. And to speak to Latoya's point, that's why we have the Patreon, PayPal, and Cash App accounts set up for anyone that wants to contribute a sponsorship because the more resources we have financially, the easier it will be for us to get the equipment and the crews to cover more than one game at a time, perhaps, uh, but one step at a time. And of course we hope to continue our relationship with the cable stations around here where you know, they win, they get more programming and it gives us an opportunity to cover teams that I wouldn't have thought of just a little while ago. So getting right. to see Adalia McKenzie, for example, uh, that was a lot of fun. So, yes. of course, you and I could talk for two more hours about that, but your battery only lasts so long. But before we go, as an athlete, broadcaster, Latoya, feel free to answer this any way you see fit. What was your most exciting moment and your most embarrassing moment? Oh, okay. Jeez. My most embarrassing moment was when my mic was off for half of the game at the – Stillwater Tartan. Tartan. Yes. And I was so excited to call those girls because you had TK, you had Aurora, um, you had Nevaeh. Um, I think Chavre was on that team at the time. And so, and then you had Stillwater and, the, you know, their, their dynamic duo. And so I was so excited. And I remember I was just talking my lights out and there was no sound. So now I always check. So that was one of my most embarrassing moments. Um, and my most exciting moment, oh, it's hard to pin those down. Um, I think it's when I see a new player. And so each, each time it happens, it bumps the old one. But when I see a new player and I know they're that ticket, they're that it player. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I get an opportunity to, um, to call this game. 
um, this is, this is amazing. And, and I'm, and I'm very thankful, you know, I'm like, thank you God for allowing this opportunity for me. So I don't have one particular amazing, um, moment. That's okay. What about you? That's all right. You can answer it any way you'd like. Next time you come on, we'll dive into your outstanding, amazing, legendary athletic career. And <laughs> Bring back some old stuff and we'll find out what your most exciting moments were as a player because uh, we've had some conversations, of course, with uh, Tanae Griffin's mom, Anessa. Yeah. Who sees it one way, you see it another when you two would do battle in the Minneapolis City Conference. And hey, if you've got old tapes, I can digitize them now. So uh, any viewers out there that have old games you want to get preserved, hit me up. But yeah. Latoya, we want to thank you for coming on to celebrate our 10,000 subscriber on YouTube. I don't know how quickly the next 10,000 will come or the next milestone, maybe 25 or 50,000. We'll have to set another benchmark to do this again because I'm sure by that point, you and I will have more games, more memories, and more athletes to idolize and reflect on fondly. But this was a lot of fun looking back yeah. at the first 10,000 subscribers. I can't wait to see the journey that unfolds with the next 10,000. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been an amazing ride. Thank you for inviting me along. Um, I have absolutely enjoyed every game uh, that we've called together and I'm looking forward to doing this for a, a long time. As am I, we hope we'll stick around for a long time. So we're gonna do our best not to get coronavirus so that can happen. But thanks again, Latoya Turk and you can follow her at the Talking with Toya podcast. August 1st is when her debut episode drops. And where can we find it? I understand you have a website. Yep, I have a website. It's talkingwithtoya.com. Uh, or you can go to Instagram and it's Talking with Toya. Or YouTube and it's Talking with Toya. You can also find me on Our Sisters Keeper MN on Instagram and Facebook. So August 1st, look for the debut episode, hopefully the first of many of Talking with Toya. And I know LaToya and I will be talking again at a game or a podcast sometime in the future. Yes. That does it. Thanks again, LaToya. That does it for our special live edition of Mike Up Sports celebrating 10,000 subscribers. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, just contact us at tsbtelevision at gmail.com or social media at TheMikePeden on Twitter or Instagram. And if you want to be subscriber number 10,001 or two or wherever you fall on the list, just punch in my name on YouTube. You'll see the TSB Television branding. That's my channel. Lots of sports. So if you're a sports fan and want to look back on some of our great games, great matchups, you can watch it anytime. We hope to see you there. Thanks again for watching this live edition of Mike Up Sports. We'll see you next time. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mike Up Sports.